Hello and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing member of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan. And one of the things that's happened as this channel has grown and more folks have found it is that more and more people have more topics that they want to see covered in this space. And one of the topics that is the most often requested, much to my surprise really, is how a company by the name of Games Workshop, responsible for making the Warhammer universe and licensing out that universe to many, many people, has come up. And that includes in the last 24 hours or so. Now, if you've been in virtual reality for a little while, you might know that we've already talked about Games Workshop and some of its policies, especially towards fans and fan creations in a video we did talking about those policies. In particular, the fact that their intellectual property guidelines do not constitute formal approval for any of the usage of their intellectual property and that they have a very specific prohibition as of now on individuals creating fan films or animations based on their intellectual property. And this created a bit of a furor on Reddit, on the internet in general. And a number of you asked me to talk about it, which I did in that video. So Games Workshop has already had a bit of a fractious relationship with its fandom in the past few months. And that was exacerbated a little bit yesterday. Now, this, what you see on your screen right now, is a Reddit thread that talks about an NDA, a non-disclosure agreement that was leaked to Reddit and ostensibly, at least as described in these various posts, is the kind of contract that Games Workshop asks its influencer partners, folks with a YouTube channel that are going to look at their miniatures or their sets or whatever else it is that they're selling, and they make those influencers sign up to a non-disclosure agreement. Now that in and of itself, not that unusual. Anybody that has materials that they plan to sell to the public in the future, that has some secrets that might change, is generally going to ask you to either sign something or is going to indicate in a letter that comes with, say, a video game or a piece of code, the fact that if you use this, then you are agreeing not to disclose it to anyone else and otherwise abide by the rules that we put in this letter. That's pretty normal. However, what has piqued the interest of some of the Games Workshop fandom, and that has piqued that interest and directed it towards me, are some of the terms in this agreement. Now, you won't see a link to this particular thread in the description to this video. I'm not going to be using the entirety of the contract that's still Games Workshops, but I can tell you, having looked it over, that for the most part, it's a relatively standard confidentiality agreement. It defines the confidential information that's going to be passed from Games Workshop to the party that's going to sign the agreement. The party that signs the agreement promises to only use it for the purpose from which it was given and agrees to keep it confidential, etc., etc., etc. However, there is a term in the agreement that is unusual for a relationship of this type and also shows some of the unusualness of the definitions that are used by this document. So we are going to be taking clips of the agreement, and I apologize for the quality here. This is how it was delivered to Reddit, and we're going to be talking about them. We're going to be talking about the definitions that it uses. We're going to be talking about what they describe as a non-compete and non-solicitation provision. We're going to be talking about the consideration that is given for the other party to enter into this contract. If you aren't familiar with that term, a contract is really only enforceable if either side does something for the other party. In this case, the consideration is going to be the actual giving of the confidential information, which is normal, but we're going to see how the definitions in this contract make it a little bit more amorphous than usual. And as you can probably tell from the thumbnail, I do think that a non-competition and non-solicitation provision in this context, as presented at least by Reddit, 
is unusual, and we're going to talk about why. So let's take a look at these provisions of this agreement. This is for educational purposes. One of the things I want to disclaim at the front is that this is said to be governed by English law, the law of England. I'm obviously not an English lawyer. I'm an American lawyer. So we're going to be looking at it from that perspective. There might be reasonable differences that could occur in Europe, in England in particular. Uh, But for the most part, a lot of this is going to ride on the ambiguity in the contract itself. So it's not going to change just based on the governing law. So we, I think we can have a good discussion here. So let's take a look at the definitions that are important to this conversation. One, restricted customer. And this is going to be the basis of the non-competition provision. This document says a restricted customer is any person who, as at the effective date when you sign this contract up, or who has been at any time during the period of 12 months immediately preceding the effective date. So it's a person that meets these qualities we're going to talk about at the time that you sign the document or 12 months before you sign the document, is a client, a customer, or in the habit of dealing with GW, which is Games Workshop for this purpose. And this is a very, very important definition. And because it is so important, my red flags are raised because of the language used here. What is a client of GW? What is a customer of GW? Do you have to be buying things from them all the time? Have I purchased a GW good? Have I purchased a GW good if I bought something that is made in the Warhammer universe but was licensed out by GW? And worse, what does it mean for someone to be in the habit of dealing with GW? Because presumably that category of person doesn't fall within what this definition would include under client or customer. So if they aren't a client and they aren't a customer, What does it mean to be in the habit of dealing with them? Whatever that means, they all fall under the definition of capital R, capital C, restricted customer for purposes of this contract. And that should raise a red flag as we go along. Put a pin in that because that ambiguity in definition is going to create ambiguity in the provision that we care about. Restricted person is a little bit easier to understand. It's any person who has at the effective date or who has been at any time during the period of 12 months immediately preceding the effective date employed or directly or indirectly engaged by GW. Even there, there's some ambiguity. What in the world does it mean to be indirectly engaged by GW? I understand folks that are employed. I understand contractors that have a contract with GW, like this one. I don't understand what indirectly engaged by means as a practical matter. So that broadens out this definition a little bit, but it's not quite as ambiguous as the customer concept. And then the term of this agreement which is a period of 36 months, not from signing, but from and including the date of the last disclosure of confidential information to the recipient by GW. And the distinction there is an important one because it means that the term of this document as written in black and white on the page here is perpetual. Or more specifically, it doesn't have a set termination date because if you think about it, at any point in time, Games Workshop can just send a minifig or send whatever it is that might otherwise be confidential to the recipient, that starts the 36-month timer over again. And so if I'm looking at this from a legal perspective, I say, well, this agreement could last forever. And if I'm on the influencer side, if I'm signing this up, I can't control when it ends because it's all based on GW sending something to me, whether or not I want it. And so that would create a potential problem for me, but also keep that in your mind because the term isn't 36 months. It's 36 months from the last time they sent you something and they could do that for as long as they wanted to keep the provisions of this agreement alive. 
And then the last definition here is actually pulled from a little bit later in the agreement. It's the purpose, which is couched in what you aren't allowed to do with the confidential information, which isn't unusual. You're not allowed to use or exploit the confidential information in any way except for the purposes for which it was supplied by GW. Now, this is designed to be a boilerplate document so that they don't have to adjust it for any and all reasons why it might be used, but it creates an ambiguity for the signer, the non-GW party here, because what is the purpose for which this information was supplied? Presumably, it'll have a cover letter, some other kind of sheet that explains what it's for, whether it's an email or otherwise, but it's not put forth in the contract itself, and that's important because as we said, the consideration for this clause we're going to talk about is included in the purpose. So this is the only place that purpose is defined. They're saying that whatever reason we gave it to you for is the consideration for which you are giving us non-compete and non-solicitation protection, but we're not going to specify in the contract what that purpose is, and you might not know what the purpose is until you actually get the materials. So already, just from the definitions, you can see that bare minimum, it's slanted towards the company here, which isn't unusual, but it might be slanted a little bit too much in terms of ambiguity and what somebody could read into these provisions. And I think that's why it's caused a bit of an uproar on the various places on the internet where I saw it and why so many of you asked me to talk about it. And that all lives in section four, non-compete and non-solicitation. I already talked to you about the confidential information provisions. They are pretty normal for the way an NDA works. This is not. 4.1, the recipient undertakes to GW that it shall not. 4.1.1, without GW's prior permissions at any time during the term, canvas, solicit, or otherwise seek the custom of a restricted customer and induce or attempt to induce a restricted customer to cease or refrain from conducting business with or to reduce the amount of business conducted with or to vary adversely the terms upon which it conducts business with, GW. So this is the main non-compete provision, but it's important to understand what it's doing and what it's not. So first, there's an important conjunction there. It's an and. So it appears that you would have to do both one and two in order to run afoul of this provision. So you can't solicit or otherwise seek the custom seek business from a restricted customer and induce that restricted customer to stop working or otherwise change its relationship with GW. If you do both of those things, you're in breach here. However, this is an unusual way to frame a non-competition agreement. The usual way that you frame a non-competition provision is to say, what does GW do? GW makes uh, board games, they make miniatures, however you might describe it. You then put that in a definition that this is the business that GW engages in. And if you're going to sign a non-compete, which is a little bit unusual for a contractor independent relationship, but not entirely so, you would say not, we're not going to seek the custom of your customers, but rather we are not going to engage in the business that you engage in. We're not going to try to make board games for your customers or sell them miniatures. We're not going to compete with you. Whereas here in 4.1.1 and then in 4.1.2, which says broader without GW's prior permission at any time during the term, have any business dealings with a restricted customer, doesn't limit you to competing with GW at all. Imagine you make toilet supplies. If somebody is a customer of GW and you've signed this agreement by its terms, you can't sell that person your toilet supplies because you're not allowed to have any business dealings with a restricted customer. Now, would GW enforce that? I wouldn't think so. 
but you always have to be considering what it is that you agreed to in a contract like this. And by basing it not on their business, but by the identity of who does business with them, they've broadened the scope of this kind of provision massively so. Whereas if somebody like me bought Total War Warhammer, doesn't even know if I'm a restricted customer, and then you try to sell me, I don't know, legal supplies, notebooks, whatever it is that I use in my day job, are you violating 4.1.1? Probably not, because it's not affecting the way GW does business, but are you violating 4.1.2? I think the argument could be made if I'm a restricted customer, which is why these definitions are so important and why it's so unusual to frame them in the way that has been done here. And remember, 36 months is from the date when GW last sent materials, not from the day that you signed up to the agreement. So if GW just doesn't like you, they could just keep sending you a minifig every once in a while and you've agreed to take it and abide by the terms of this agreement, which will be extended for three years from whenever that mailing is made. That's going to be a problem. 4.1.3, at any time during the term, have any business dealings with or solicit, entice, or attempt to entice away any person who is at the effective date or has been at any time during the period of 12 months immediately preceding the effective date, a supplier of goods or services to GW. If such dealing, solicitation, or enticement causes or is reasonably likely to cause such supplier to cease supplying or to reduce its supply of goods or services to GW or to vary adversely the terms upon which it conducts business with GW, which is a lot more normal. It says, look, we got suppliers of things. We got plastic people that are helping us make what we sell to you. You're not going to try to entice them away or otherwise use them in such a fashion that now we can't make those miniatures or it costs us a lot more or any of those kinds of things. If you're in a relationship with GW, you're an influencer for them, you're getting these miniatures, you're reviewing them, whatever it might be, this makes sense to say you can't mess up our business model because we're supposed to be on the same side. 4.1.3 doesn't have the same problems as 411 and 412. 414, at any time during the term, offer employment to, enter into a contract for the services of, or otherwise entice or attempt to entice away from GW, any restricted person, which again is those folks employed and engaged with indirectly or directly GW, or procure or facilitate the making of any such offer or attempt by any other person. Now that's a lot of legalese, but it means you're not going to hire our people away. Now, as we've seen in other versions of non-competition and non-solicitation provisions that we've taken a look at, I would generally have a proviso in here that says that won't apply to general solicitations. Again, because the identity of the person isn't as important as what I am trying to do to your business. Said another way, if I put an ad in the paper that says I need somebody and someone that currently works for you responds to that ad, I should be allowed to hire them. I wasn't trying to hurt your business in that process. And that's often a proviso that you can get negotiated into a contract like this, but doesn't usually appear necessarily in the version that a company puts forth to begin with. 415, at any time during the term, use in the course of business any trade or service mark business or domain name, design or logo, which at the effective date is being or has been used by GW. You won't use our intellectual property marks. Now that probably should have without GW's prior permissions. Presumably you're allowed to say this miniature that you're reviewing or otherwise talking about on your YouTube channel is a Total War one or a Warhammer one or something else that is related to GW. Uh, but specifically here, they say you can't use that. Of course, anything in a contract can be consented to by the party that would be affected. And 416, do anything which in the reasonable opinion of GW is capable of confusion with any of the words, marks, names, designs, or logos referred to above which is to say you use some naming or some logo typeface that looks close to what they've got and it's reasonable for them to say that's potentially confusing, you agree not to do that. 
So 415, 416, and 413, pretty fair. 414 is mostly fair, but we'd probably have an out for general solicitations. And then 411 and 412, which is a non-competition concept for an independent contractor that may or may not be making much money on this and is broadened out to the identity of people that have a habit of dealing with GW is way, way, way too broad for something like this. And in a lot of jurisdictions in the United States, not all of them, it would be looked at askance uh, by a court of law. I can't speak to England, of course, but there is some breadth here, which I wouldn't expect to be enforced in a lot of places, which leads us to one of the other provisions that I think people have really kind of harped on, and that's 417. At any time during the term, do or say anything which may be harmful to the reputation of GW. And I think when you see a line like that, it's again, very ambiguous, very broad. People think, wow, these people got miniature figures. And if they say something bad, if it's a negative review, this means they could be in breach of the agreement and have all sorts of bad things happen to them. For instance, there's an indemnity provision that promises that the influencer will pay for the bills that might accrue to GW if they breach this agreement. I think that that's unlikely to be the way that this is enforced. Not that it's a good way to write a provision like this, but it's much more closely aligned to what I usually see as something like a character clause, which is to say, look, we are working with you right now. You're going to be affiliated with us in at least some inchoate fashion because people are going to see that you're getting our goods and confidential information and talking about them and whatever the purpose is, et cetera, et cetera. And then if you go and you get into a drunk driving accident or you do something political that we don't like or something else that we think is harmful to our reputation, we can cut this agreement off. We can potentially look for damages, but most importantly, we can cut all this off. And that's what this is focused on more. But those folks that are upset about it, I think are legitimate in doing so because this contract being out there does suggest that at bare minimum, somebody that wants to say something negative about Games Workshop that has entered into one of these contracts is going to have to think twice about it. Not because GW is likely to come down on them, because to be honest, in the court of public opinion, Games Workshop killing a channel or a content creator or something else because they said something bad about their product, which was legitimate, as long as it's not falsified and that kind of thing, then this miniature doesn't have great paint on it or it melts too easily, whatever it might be. That them killing that kind of commentary is likely to be looked at very, very poorly by their own fan base. They know that. But that doesn't mean we should just look at contract terms like this and say, well, it's unlikely to be enforced. It doesn't matter because it is going to have a chilling effect on the margins for someone that is at least going to have to think about, hey, I signed up to this agreement. I've got an indemnity clause. I've got this relationship with GW. And if I say I really hated these miniatures for X, Y, and Z, that could be considered harmful to the reputation of GW. You don't see a falsity standard here. You don't see a requirement that somebody act illegally or that they lie on camera or something like that. If you do or say anything that may be harmful to the reputation of GW, I think GW is a bad company, says Influencer X. That could be something that runs afoul of this provision. And once you get into that zone, we start talking again about largesse, right? If you haven't been in virtual legality a lot, largesse is the concept that a copyright holder in general if they don't license out the right to say broadcast something on Twitch, holds over you the ability to drop a hammer on you if they decide for some reason they don't like what you said about their content. 4.1.7 is essentially largesse written down on paper because if you say something they don't like that they deem to be harmful to their reputation, they can do bad things to you under the contract. So all in all, clause four here is not great and it is unusual. 
It's unusual to frame a non-competition based on the identity of the customer and not on the business. It's unusual to have these concepts writ large in a contract relationship talking about someone that is very unlikely to actually have close contacts with the company in question. If they get confidential information, it's because GW sent that to them. It's not somebody that's walking the halls of headquarters ordinarily. So non-competes, a little bit unusual in the format presented and for contractors themselves. It's not that unusual to say, hey, while we're still working together, you're not going to do something against us. You're not going to also be making fantasy flight reviews. I don't know what it might look like in this context, but it's unusual to say something like this. Without our permission, you can't have business dealings with a customer of ours. Very, very broad. To me, unacceptable. I wouldn't sign this. Uh, But certainly, even if you do, I think it's unlikely that GW is going to enforce it, but that doesn't make the contract terms right. So for everybody that asked me to talk about this, hopefully that is helpful. Like I said, wanted to keep this to the specifics of the provisions that I saw as the most problematic here. Don't want to link to the whole document uh, itself. We're doing this under fair use, of course. Newsworthy, definitely educational, hopefully. And that's the kind of conversations we have in virtual legality all the time. If you like talking about the business and law of the hobbies and games and pop culture that you're interested in, please consider supporting the channel. We've got a Patreon, other ways to support us down below, or if you just subscribe, upvote, downvote, leave comments, whatever it is that you like, and tell your friends that we're here, every little bit helps. So thank you so much. If you caught this on YouTube, thank you for watching. And if you listen to it as a podcast, thank you for listening. And I will catch you on the very next episode of Virtual Legality. Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed, please consult your own legal counsel.